Wait times continue to rise for ambulances in the city of Winnipeg. When are we going to get more ambulances? And how are paramedics doing with these massive wait times? And that subject is one of the things we talked about with the mayor. We had our monthly visit with Mayor Scott Gillingham. It is March. Yes, that's exciting. But with March comes tax season. And today is a big day on that front. And on Tuesday, Loren bought something that she thought was one thing, and it turned out to be another. Another thing that is of no use to her whatsoever. So that sparked a fun conversation about the most useless thing we've ever bought, or a time where we bought something, we were expecting it to be one thing, and it turned out to be something completely different. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Wednesday, March 1st podcast for the start. It's March. It's March. I don't know. Do do either of you feel like excited by that? Knowing that January and February are behind or in a rear view mirror. Mackling. Yes. I know that we kind of got off easy so to speak, with regards to weather in January, but I don't care about that anymore. February, we had a little bit more cold uh, than we did in January. I'm happy to see it in the rearview mirror. Anything that gets me closer to spring makes me happy. Happy, And, of course, there's that saying with regard to March, in like a lion, out like a lamb, or vice versa. When you're getting wind chills of minus 23 and maybe a little bit colder before the sun comes up this morning... Is this, in fact, a lion or is it a lamb, Loren? Llama. Big llama. In like a llama. <laughs> Big hitter llama. <laughs> I would say it's in like a lion. Like, I don't know if that, I think usually that phrase is used for more storm related stuff. Yes, of stuff, course. Right? I, and I'm it, and trying to figure I, out what's in but store. But it'd be nice if it was llama lion so that we could go out like a lamb yeah. or llama. Yeah, I, I think that, like, you're right, Macklin, we, we did kind of get away with it. This this winter hasn't been nearly as bad, but it's just, man, it's been, it's felt like such a drag. And everybody else around here, like I bumped into Jay from Power 97 this morning and he, as he's walking towards the elevator, he just kind of goes, and so I said to him, I second that motion, sir. And he said, man, it's just been such a drag. And I think it's probably because we had so much winter last year. Yes. That I just, and then it was suddenly winter again. Like we barely got to enjoy nice weather and then it was winter again. And it snowed earlier this year, I think. Oh, actually, I don't know if that's true. I know we gave up on the driveway a lot earlier (laughs) this year than normal, (laughs) just by by, by the very nature of the fact that it's, you know, uh, exhausting. And last year was exhausting. So it might've been a hangover from 2020. That could be that you make a good point. A winter hangover. Yeah, maybe it just feels like like a 15, 16 months of winter with about a four-month break right in the middle of it for uh, an uh, abbreviated summer. Some of summer was pretty good, but Some it, of was, it. it wasn't outstanding. I, I have to say yesterday I was actively thinking and planning about different things we wanted to do in the summer, which is way earlier than normal. So that tells you something, that I'm ready for spring or spring or summer. Yeah, no, I'm ready Just for it Just making up phrases as we go. <laughs> I'm ready for it too. The two-week forecast isn't bad. It looks like it's going to hover around or just below the freezing mark, uh, so, sort of fairly consistency for the next, or consistently, pardon me, for the next couple of weeks. But yes, it is March. I'll take that. So spring is nigh-ish. The spring is nigh-ish. The llama is on its way. Make up, <laughs> make call it whatever you want. It's time for us. You know what? We get to make up our own phrases. We've been using these, what what do you call it, colloquialisms? Like what are the... Colloquialism for, for yes. like centuries. Let's yeah, come up yeah. with a new one for spring. Others edicts like you must Groundhog Day. Eh, let's find another animal. Yeah, yeah. let's just do our own thing. Blue Jay Day. <laughs> How about another little critter like a capybara? Yeah, Ooh, what's that? What sort Are of prognostical powers do, do capybaras have? I don't know. I don't know. I let's just, find out. <laughs> that's it. they're just like a bigger sort of. Oh, it's woodland. like a beaver type thing. Yeah. Where does this? Oh, it's South America. We don't yeah. even have them. Although, wasn't there one that got out of a zoo? I think it, it might have been in Ontario. Oh, I can't remember where it escaped. But yeah, there was an Sacramento. escaped. Sacramento. Ca- 
Was that always oh, Sacramento? No, nope, okay. that's incorrect. I'm just, just stop yelling things yeah. out. There was a story a few years ago about one that had escaped and they were looking for it for like, I think days or if not weeks. That rings a bell to me yeah. as well. Let's just shout out random geographical locations. Grand Rapids! <laughs> yeah. Boise! In like a cheetah, out like a capybara. <laughs> also, by the way, March means taxes. So at 7.05, we're going to talk about the RSP deadline, which is tonight. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. If you are in medical distress and call 911 today, you're waiting a lot longer for an ambulance to get there than you did just a few years ago. So some form of care is getting to your door within what's considered an acceptable time frame by national standards. But that's typically coming in the form of that firefighter paramedic that arrives in the fire truck. So here are the numbers. Back in 2019, it took eight Point five minutes, so eight and a half minutes for a provider to be at your side. Again, the firefighter, paramedic. Last year, that rose slightly to 8.9 minutes. But the time it's taking for an ambulance and the more highly trained paramedics that come with that ambulance to be at your side has really grown dramatically. So in 2019, an ambulance was getting on scene within 14 minutes of that call. Now it's just shy of 20 minutes. So 20 minutes for life-saving care which is a six-minute jump in response times in just a handful of years. Here's Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Chief Christian Schmidt. The numbers are very concerning. I'll say one thing uh, that that has uh, really allowed us to sustain operations here is the fact that we're operating with a unified deployment model here, uh, deploying uh, firefighter paramedics on uh, fire apparatus to medical calls. Uh, because that really represents uh, that first number that that you referenced, the 8.95 minutes. Uh, this model really has, uh, uh, you know, has been assisting us in, in getting uh, providers to a patient site in a timely manner. But uh, we are really maxed out here, and it's proof uh, proof is uh, in in those numbers. So they can tout the firefighter paramedic model because it does mean some form of help is getting to your side within that time frame that we maybe consider acceptable. But you have to remember they don't have the equipment of an ambulance. They don't have that expertise of the paramedic team. They can't transport you to hospital. And so for years now, WFPS has been asking for more ambulances, saying they've done all they can within the system to sort of speed things up, but they need more ambulances. And so a few years ago, the ask was six but as Chief Schmidt told Richard Cloutier on the news yesterday, that ask has grown. Between 7 and 10 units uh, based on the data that we've we've collected. Those and, you know, 7 to 10 units, that. you get them on the road tomorrow, do those times go back to where they belong? Yeah, they're going to start to move in that direction, absolutely. Uh, but this is a real challenge. Uh, you know, paramedics are a hot commodity uh, uh, coming out of covid uh, paramedicine has really grown, and um, you know, even if uh, we get a green light on on something like that for additional resources tomorrow, it's going to take us some time uh, to staff up. Uh, these are, uh, you know, par- paramedics. There's a, a big demand for 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 that profession ac- across the country. So uh, we'll be competing uh, with other provinces and territories. So uh, that's something we need to consider as well. So just because there's an ask for more doesn't mean it's going to be answered because Schmidt joined us in studio five years ago telling us how the need for more ambulances had grown at that point. So here's what's on the street right now. 24 hours a day, there are 17 ambulances. During the peak period, that's during the day, another 11. So at its maximum, 28 ambulances in theory from around 10 a.m., through 10 p.m. So the ask is now for 7 to 10 more. Why is it that we don't ever seem to act until it's a crisis? Why can we never act incrementally? Why does it have to be something that is all of a sudden the system is failing, that the response times have have doubled essentially for ambulances? Now we have to act when there's been an ask all the way along? I, I don't understand this approach in any way. It's too early to be this upset. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Loren, what did you buy yesterday that had you 
perplexed? Well, I'm probably like so many people out there at some point in your day or your week, you realize you're without a charger for your phone. And sometimes you can say, I can get home, no big deal. But I had hours of stuff ahead of me I needed to do. And I ran into the drug mart and bought a cord. I read it wrong. I thought it said six feet. I opened up the package and <laughs> it's a six inch, six inches of cord. So I guess in theory, they're probably thinking you're using it in your car. You plug it in your little USB. You're not supposed to use your phone in your car. I understand that. But even if I were to pull over, which I did yesterday to take a picture and show you guys, I can't use the phone. It's so short that it twists. You can't use it. If it was plugged into my computer, I wouldn't be able to use it. I was like, who invented the six inch cord? And why was I the fool who bought it? I should have returned it. This is what happened in Spinal Tap with Stonehenge. (laughs) What? Yeah. When the stone edge came down, it, he wanted it to be six feet tall. And it was six inches tall. it was tall. six inches tall. <laughs> you got it wrong? Yeah. It yeah. was just the world's worst piece of uh, set decoration ever, the miniature stone edge descending from the rafters. Well, I, I just made me laugh because I was, I was like, this is a mistake. I read the inches and, f- and foot thing wrong. Fine. But the packaging was like, I, I was like, this could have been, there was enough packaging there that it could have been six feet of cord. And so I was just, we were wondering, Brett, how often have you gone out to buy something or maybe more these days bought something online and then had it show up and thought that is not at all what I, what I thought that would be. So my big disappointment is that cord. I'll tell you what, the kids aren't still in that six inch cord though. They don't want it. Yeah. It looks like there might be a six-inch cord, be- and we we had one of those. Remember in our previous station, we had that multi-port charging station? Yes. So I think that's where it would be handy, where you've got like five or six different cords on the table, and then you can just plug your phone in and walk away. Uh, but that's really the only practical application I can see for something like this. So... At 204-780-6868, have you ever bought something and thought, well, this is useless? Or maybe you bought something and it turned out to be something different than what you thought you were getting. Like maybe you bought something online. For example, I once ordered, this is a simple one, but I ordered a golf hat from Puma a few years back. On the website, it was purple. There was no mistaking. It was purple. The color settings on my monitor were not wrong. But when the hat arrived, it was blue. Was still nice, but I I wanted I ordered a purple hat, not a blue hat, so I got rid of it. Two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Let's go around the horn here. Jeff Braun, welcome back, sir. Thank you. Uh, when I was in college, every Tuesday I would go to the used record store in Brandon on uh, Richmond Avenue, I believe, and browse through you know some of the new stuff they got on got in every week. And one day I was there, and this must have been nineteen ninety five or so, and there was an Eddie Murphy cassette in the bin. And I was like, oh. So he got a comedy album that I'm not aware of because I had his other comedy album. So I was like, I'd never heard of this one. So I bought it. I was so excited. Get out to my car, pop it in. Nope, it's Eddie Murphy singing songs, party uh, party all night or party every time or whatever that stupid song is that he had. I was like, what? I was so upset. I was expecting some uh, grade A killer stand-up comedy, and it was just Eddie Murphy singing songs. And I was so upset about it. <laughs> My girl wants to party Party all the time. There it is. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy, that's a good one. Yeah, I could imagine the disappointment on that. Cameron Poitras, what about you? Uh, Well, this is my favorite. I get to throw my wife under the bus here. She is the absolute worst online shopper uh, of all time. She's gotten three for three. She never orders anything online. But every time she's done it, it has been an absolute disaster. Uh, Particularly if she has a a gift card or... um, uh, like or like a gift, like we get like a third year, three year gift, five year gift here at at, at CJOB. So she chose her first one was this portable uh, phone charger that didn't even work when we got it for the first time, and so she panicked and got that. There were so many other things she could have chosen. She got that this the second time at her five year gift. She she got a knife. She was like, I'm going to get a kitchen knife. <laughs> says, why do you need that? I I think I was commenting on the all the knives being dull in the kitchen or something like that. And then so she goes, well, we need to get a new knife. So, in st- so she gets a fish filleting knife. And she's a vegetarian. So what does she, would she ever need a fish filleting <laughs> knife for? And then she got an Amazon $50 gift card and she panicked and bought these shoes and they came and they were like these rubber pieces of garbage. They were the worst shoes of all time. It was, she's so bad at it. 
I think she's finally quit. And I just said, listen, next time something like this happens, let me pick. Let me have control because I at least have – because she just says, I got to get this. And then it's awful. It's so, awful. Clothes are so funny online because it's like the deal's too good to be true. And you're ordering things and it says, you know, it's 40 bucks and it shows yeah. up and you're like, it's not leather. I don't understand. Like, it's not real suede. It's, it's not. Pleather. It's just, I've ordered things that are just made for children. They say large, but they are not. Like, it is hilariously <laughs> awful. How I've done that are. too. Like, I, I've ordered a shirt and uh, the shirt has been, like, like, usually I wear a medium and it fits nicely. But then this medium was a large. It was wearing a dress, basically. <laughs> It was a medium for, uh, like, a, you know, maybe it was the mediums for NBA <laughs> basketball players or something. Mackling, what about you? The shoes I'm wearing right now, and uh, hopefully Jackie's not listening. We, we, when we were on our holidays uh, this past summer, we stopped at uh, one of those outlet malls, and it was in, I think, Barstow, California, and they had these Air Jordans on for, for a certain price, and I absolutely love them, and I got told... You don't need any more shoes. So I left them at the store. Well, Jackie's position on the shoes softened as we made our way home. And when we were in Las Vegas, went to a similar outlet mall, went to the Nike outlet. And there were these Air Jordans. They were priced slightly higher than in Barstow. But uh, there was a, a large, there was a large discount. And so I made out pretty well, but I didn't try them on. And I just went with the size that I'd tried on in California. And I don't know if the sizes are different in Nevada. I don't think they're supposed to be, but they are. So I'm walking around in these Air Jordans that I love, and they are most definitely half a size too small. Really? Yeah. But I will not relent. I am wearing them because I cannot take them back, and I'm not giving them to my kids. So every time you see me with these Air Jordans on, just know my feet hurt every <laughs> single time I wear them. You're Mon- you are Monica from Friends. Yeah, pretty close. Pretty close. And that's why the, the laces are often un- just untied, aren't they? <laughs> okay. I was wondering, is that like something your kids told you to do? Oh, so like, like a style thing? loosened the belt or something like that on your feet. By the way, Jason has pointed out I'm probably just the victim of cordflation. Cordflation. <laughs> yes. that we are giving away a $20 gift card for Santa Lucia pizza based on the things that you bought that turned out to be not what you thought they were going to be or just something that you bought that turned out to be entirely useless. Loren Kristen with an interesting entry into this contest. Yeah, I had a six-foot cord that turned out to be a six-inch cord. Kristen, uh, who is an animal lover, said, don't judge me. The targeted ads know me too well, and an ad for a 20-inch tall budgie lawn statue showed up in my feed. I questioned why it existed, suspected it was too good to be true, but ordered it anyway because 20-inch lawn budgie. <laughs> I was deeply saddened when I picked up this tiny parcel. I still love him, but if I put him in my yard now, he will be stolen far too easily. And Kristen attached two pictures, so the online sales pitch does say very clearly 20-inch lawn budgie. The picture of this lawn ornament is it's the height of a coffee cup. So (laughs) is it 20 centimeters even? No. (laughs) I'm trying to figure out what unit of measurement this could possibly be. Millimeters? (laughs) Yeah. So clearly they botched that up, but it's a cute statue, Kristen. Thanks for the picture. So 204-780-6868. Tell us a story for a chance to win that gift card. We'll give it away just after 9.15. It is that time of year. It's March. We're hopefully... We will soon see some warmer temperatures and melting snow, but this time of year also brings something that's maybe a little bit less fun, taxes. And today marks an important deadline on that front, Greg. Yeah, maybe we're trying to forget that this deadline existed, but we're here to remind you that tonight is the end of the line for Canadians to contribute to an RRSP for the 2022 tax year. Jerry... Viteratus is with UFile Canada and joins us now. Jerry, we speak to you at least once a year. Good to have you back on the show. Oh, thank you very much for having me again. Okay, so what are some of the basic things we need to know about RRSPs uh, even at this late date as it pertains to 2022? Well, first thing, your deadline is 11.59 tonight. 
<laughs> that's essentially the first thing to mention. Uh, so the key is that you need to transfer funds to your RSP account. You don't have to buy anything necessarily. Just transfer the funds by 11:59 tonight, and that and what it ensures is that whatever you contribute, you'll be able to deduct towards your previous taxation year, which is 2022. And that's the key is that, is that what the government mentions is first 60 days. So, so March 1st counts. So it's not too late. You've got the time to do it. And of course, what, what, you know, there's a lot you can say about RSPs. So it's a great uh, tax deferral vehicle. It's a great way to save money uh, for your future retirement. People shouldn't think of it purely as a tax reduction vehicle. Remember that this is, this is an account that you will use to actually live on when you retire. So the key is to, to fund it properly every single year a lot of people out there might be saying right now i'd like to do this but i don't have an extra a thousand dollars two thousand dollars five thousand dollars jerry or whatever it might be that you want to make the contribution to what's the recommendation there does it make sense to borrow to put it in an rsp does it make sense you talked about moving money i mean what what are some of the possibilities i can do if i want to try to get in on this today you could. I mean, I would say in the previous years, it made a lot of sense mm-hmm. because of how low the interest rates were, right? I mean, you know, borrowing was, was basically, uh, you know, uh, b- borrowing money was, was very easy because you had interest rates of 1% or 2%, especially if you use a HELOC, for example, a home equity line of credit, you know, the most you, were, you would be charged like 2%. Today, with the interest rates and where they're at right now, uh, you know, it becomes less, uh, less efficient. However, it still might be worthwhile because remember that you are getting that tax reduction right offhand. So you you could do what, what is commonly referred to out there as a top-up loan, uh, which is essentially you borrow usually from a home equity line of credit. I would not recommend it with an unsecured line of credit uh, because then, you know, your interest rates are easily now 7 8% at this point. Uh, but with a HELOC, you might be able to still get a 3% loan, borrow from that, and then you contribute to your RSP. But the key, the key now the reason to do that is because you're getting that tax reduction right away, but the key will be to be disciplined and to use that tax reduction to pay off your loan as quickly as possible. But remember, that the top-up loan will not pay off the full loan. It's very, remember, you're only getting a percentage of that money back, right? So at that point, you know, unless you really have an ironclad plan to repay that loan, I wouldn't recommend doing it. One of the changes this year on the tax front is the first home savings account. What is that? So it's a great new uh, tax-sheltered account, similar in the in vain with the RSP and a TFSA. It kind of shares characteristics of the two. Uh, first things first, what it is is uh, a tax-sheltered vehicle where, again, it's an account where you can put money in and invest, and it's, and it's tax-sheltered as long as it's within the account. And the purpose of the account is to, in order for you to accumulate money for the purchase of what the government considers uh, your first home, meaning that you did not live in a home that you owned in the current year or in the three prior years, meaning the last four years, you did not live in a home that you owned. As long as you meet that criteria, you can create that account. Then you're allowed to put in $8,000 per year up to a lifetime maximum of $40,000. The key here is that it shares characteristics with the two RSP and TFSA. Any amount you put into it, you can deduct like an RSP, and any amount you withdraw later on, as long as you're purchasing your first home, is tax-free. So it's a great vehicle a great savings vehicle for people who are thinking about about buying a home. So, Jerry, based on those uh, characteristics you just described, I owned a home once upon a time, but we sold it in 2013, and I've been living in an apartment ever since. So would I be yep. apply for this? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're eligible. The key is the last four years, So, you, by, by, but you're including the current year, right? So that means this year and the three prior years. As long as you didn't own a home, then, you're, then to the government, you're considered a first-time home buyer, meaning that you are allowed to create that account right now. Uh, and, and even, you know, what's great about this vehicle is even, uh, even if, for example, you don't buy a home with it, let's say you, 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 you put money into it, and then after, you know, X amount of years, you decide either you're not buying a home or after 15 years, you don't buy a home. The beauty about the, about the FHSA is that you can transfer the funds to your RSP account with no tax consequence. Because the account does expire after 15 years. It's not a lifetime account like an RSP or TFSA. It does expire after a while. So even if you don't buy a home, after 15 years after creating the account, you could just transfer the funds right back to your RSP, no tax consequence. Can I start this for my kids before they're 18, Jerry? No. Uh, if, if memory serves me here, you, ha- you have to be 18 in order to create the account. So the, the three criteria to creating the account is, number one, you're resident of Canada. Number two, you're 18 and above. And number three, you are considered, as of that moment, a first-time home buyer. Meaning, again, that, that four-year rule that I just mentioned. Gotcha. 
Jerry V. Dorados with You File Canada. Thank you for these important tips. I'm sure we'll have you back before the deadline later in the coming weeks. Uh, have a good day, sir. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb for a $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza. We're asking you about the things that you have bought that turned out to be useless or stupid, or maybe you bought something online and what you got was not what you were expecting, whether it was the wrong color, the wrong size, or just a complete misrepresentation, like the 20-inch the statue that we just told you about that turned out to be four inches tall. And at 204-780-6868, we're getting some people trying to, trying to say, hey, listen, this six-inch cord that you bought, Loren, that you thought was six feet, you can use it, you can plug it in in the car, uh, theoretically, but for you, it doesn't work, right? Well, you could plug it in in the car. They, were, they sent me a picture of their six-inch cord plugged into the USB port so, uh, while the phone's in the dock. But if I would have my phone on a dock, my USB port's down in the console. I would still need, like, another 10 inches of cord to make that work. It's, it's, it, it will charge my phone, and it's great because I need a charger. And again, the kids now won't be stealing it because they, you cannot use this phone with this cord in its current form. It's useless. And you see this uh, this note from Tina Marie who says, my husband bought tracker tags for his luggage. So two little tracker tags that you could probably carry in the palm of your hand, and they came in a box that looks like the size of one of those banker's boxes. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> how much wasted packaging do you think is, is created by that kind of stuff? Oh, a ton of wasted packaging. And never mind when you realize if they're packaging you know, enough things in a box that could hold a hundred of, of these items. How much room is it taking up on the airplane? How much room is it taking in the truck? Good point. And so then how much uh, more gas are they burning based on not packing efficiently? Because if you've ever been on a road trip with your dad, you know that packing the trunk just right is the key to a happy and successful road trip. <laughs> 204-780-6868. Reminder that on Friday for the NHL trade deadline, we have five pairs of tickets to give away to see the Jets play the Sharks next week. And we're going to ask you to send us pictures. So take some pictures now, think of the item, and then send them Friday morning. What weird item do you own that you would trade for Jets tickets? And we'll do those five pairs of tickets Friday morning right here on The Start. <laughs> Right now, it is time for our monthly visit with the city's top boss, Loren. Yeah, so from ambulance wait times to this new homelessness strategy that was announced by the province yesterday, we've got all sorts of questions for our next guest, and we say good morning to Winnipeg Mayor Scott Gillingham. Good morning. Good morning. So at 6.15, uh, we were sharing with listeners numbers that were obtained by CJOB on wait times for ambulances. So it takes just shy of nine minutes for a provider to get to the door of a person who's called 911 with a medical problem. That provider is often a fire truck equipped with a firefighter paramedic. If you are waiting for an ambulance and you need that ambulance to get to you, that wait time has jumped from 14 minutes in 2019, Mr. Mayor, to 19 minutes, nearly 20 minutes last year. So I, just a simple question for you. If someone in your family needed to get to hospital today and you were waiting 20 minutes for that ambulance, would you think that's acceptable? No, obviously when someone calls 911 looking for and wanting emergency response, especially medical response, you want it there as soon as possible. You know, they'll be on, there are and there will be ongoing conversations between the city of Winnipeg and the, uh, the province of Manitoba, specifically with shared health. The city of Winnipeg, as you know, when it comes to ambulances, is on contract to provide ambulance services, which is a healthcare service for the province of Manitoba. So, when it comes to wait times, the number of ambulances, and uh, those kind of uh, you know factors that factor into the wait times, those are discussions that our staff has on an ongoing basis. But a six-minute wait time is unacceptable, I think, by anyone's standards. And so, given that yes, this is shared health responsibility, but you have to negotiate with them. Where are things at with that? We know there's been an ask for more ambulances. Do you think you'll get them this year, Mr. Mayor? Um, to be honest, I don't know that we're going to get more ambulances um, th- th- this year. I think part of what we're also seeing is that uh, so many of the calls for service uh, many times are related to what I experienced <clears throat> when I was with our, our transit supervisors about a year ago where we saw, um, you know, fire paramedics, uh, firefighters, fire paramedics and ambulances all respond to the same call 
for someone who was suffering from a from a drug overdose. They provided naloxone, and um, you know the man was taken to to uh, the emergency room. But unless there's the long-term treatment facilities, the detox beds, that call is you know we're going to do that call all over again as well. So there are some repeat calls that are repeat individuals that I know our staff is working hard through an EPIC program, a program where we go into the community with our paramedics in advance to try to reduce the number of calls for service. So uh, it's an ongoing conversation between the city uh, of Winnipeg, our paramedic service, and and the uh, the province of Manitoba to see how we can, you know, make sure we're providing the services that, that people need. So, uh, Mayor Gillingham, uh, some of those uh, resources actually just mentioned with regard to reducing the the requirement for more ambulances, I think uh, also fit into the homelessness strategy that was announced yesterday. We received word that there was going to be an announcement on this homeless reduction strategy. I was concerned that this would be a pledge for more study and high-level promises to make some inroads at some point, but I have to say it was terrific to see uh, uh, some numbers attached. 700 units is the goal, which feels ambitious, so that's good in my mind. Wraparound services attached, also terrific. This won't be fixed in one fell swoop. I I, I think we're all acknowledging that. So here's the question. Uh, Will there be annual commitments to this strategy, or is this a one-time thing? Well, first of all, I really appreciate Minister Squire's focus on this, and I really was pleased to hear her announcement yesterday. You're right, we need more housing units. Um, part of the ongoing strategy, as you mentioned, that is needed is is more housing for people. It's really hard to treat someone's addiction if they're living in a bus shelter. So a housing first strategy is a proven strategy. We've, we've adopted it at the city of Winnipeg, but really so many of the services that individuals need, um, in uh, whether it's detox or recovery or mental health services, they're really the wraparound services that the province of Manitoba provides. So this was good news yesterday to see housing, more housing coming on stream and the wraparound services as well. So is this a one-time thing, though, Mr. Mayor, or is this a, is there going to be an ongoing commitment to this? Is this a, an ad, annual pledge or, or just pre-election uh, momentum and, and announcement from the province? Well, specifically, that, that would be a question for the province because it was their announcement. I certainly, you know, uh, we, we know that it needs to be an ongoing pledge. Uh, I've said, you know, repeatedly since being elected to office that we need, in Winnipeg, we need one coordinated strategy to, uh, to address homelessness and addiction. Right now we have so many organizations that are doing outstanding work, really great work, uh, helping people that are unsheltered or struggling with addiction. Uh, or, um, but, but what we need is we need everybody making sure that we're working together in a coordinated uh, strategy. And that, to me, includes uh, the city working in, you know, in a coordinated manner with the province of Manitoba. Um, I know that Minister Squires yesterday talked about it being a very, you know, needs to be a collaborative approach. Are we any closer to that, Mayor Gillingham? Sorry to interrupt you, but are we any closer to that? Because you you pledged that and talked about it in your campaign. Are we any closer to that coordinated effort? Have have we had the stakeholders at at, at the table? And and is there a a pledge to work in that fashion? Uh, Yes, I had the stakeholders a few weeks ago. I had... uh, over 40 members of uh, the, that are working in the homelessness sector, I had them at to City Hall. We had a meeting. We talked about the need for a coordinated plan. And yesterday's announcement by the province of Manitoba to collaborate and, and work together, uh, you, you know, more, more closely to align the resources more closely is a very good step in, in the right direction. And switching gears to the pilot project that kicks off today, where two Winnipeg neighbourhoods are going to see reduced Speed from 50 to 30 kilometers per hour in one, and then 50 to 40 kilometers per hour in another. So, Mayor Scott Gillingham, where where do you sit on reduced speeds? Where would you like to see 40 or even 30 kilometers per hour citywide? I've said before that I'm open to 40 kilometers an hour in residential zones. Uh, when I was a city councillor, in fact, I put out a postcard to all of the uh, residents in my ward of St. James when I was the councillor at the time, and I asked for feedback on whether people, you know, wanted to see a 30, 40, or leave uh, the speeds in residential streets at 50. And uh, most most individuals came back at either 40 or 50. Uh, very few came back, you know, wanted to see 30. And, and I, I, I'm open to and have been consistently open to reducing the speed limits in residential streets to 40 kilometres an hour. But we'll see how these pilot projects go and uh, look forward to getting the feedback on them. 
You know, uh, this has been studied before. We've had University of Manitoba engineering professors on to say it makes sense. It's done in a lot of other cities in the States and in other cities in Canada that it does help with safety. It does help in some cases even save lives, Mr. Mayor. So we're doing our own pilot project. Do we ever get to the point where we just say, look, it's been studied a bunch of times and we don't need to study this again. Let's just move forward with this. It feels like sometimes there's too many pilot projects, too many consultations when the answers exist in a wide variety out there. Yeah, Loren, I, I don't disagree with you. There are times where it's just time to make the decision and, uh, you know, make make a decision on, uh, on on some of these matters, and we don't need more studies. I think in this case, though, um, I, I don't believe there's been studies or, uh, you know, pilot projects like this uh, in, in multiple uh, neighbourhoods across Winnipeg. So I've been supportive of, of these studies, and I look forward to seeing the outcomes of them. Really, nobody needs to be driving 50 kilometres an hour down a residential street. And I think most, you know, most Winnipeggers do not. You know, the Highway Traffic Act talks about, uh, you, you know, makes it clear that people are to, drivers are to drive to conditions. Most Winnipeggers don't drive 50 kilometres down a residential street. And so I'm open to seeing the speed on residential streets reduced. So if we know that, why not make, just make that move or at least move faster with this concept? Well, the, the, the request was for pilot projects to to uh, to study it, to to take a look and, and see, you know, there's still discussion as whether to go to 40 or 30 or leave it at 50. And so a pilot project will, will allow us to have that analysis. And is it the reason why one is 40 and one is, is 30 is just to see which one works better? Because, for example, in the Borkvale one, uh, I think that's, the, that's the, the spot where Assiniboine Avenue is. We've heard from a lot of listeners who say Assiniboine Avenue should not be reduced to 30. And uh, a lot of people in that po- pocket of Winnipeg are ticked off about this. Well, I, you know, I represented that area for, for eight years. And uh, I can tell you that the majority of people that when I was city councilor in that area that I spoke to were in favor of 30. Uh, the Cinnaboyne area specifically of that section you, you mentioned uh, serves uh, multiple purposes. It's certainly, you know, for vehicles, but it's a very popular walking. Uh, there's no sidewalk, so people walk and, and they cycle. It's, a, it's an important cycling route, too. And so it's used by multiple you know, individuals for, for multiple means of transportation. And so, um, to me, that that section of uh, certainly of Assiniboine uh, would uh, would do well to have reduced speed. Mayor Scott Gillingham joining us live on 680 CJOB, our monthly visit. Always appreciate the time, Mr. Mayor. Thank you very much. Thank you all. Have a great day. The Winnipeg Jets. Managed to score five goals last night at Canada Life Centre. When I saw that, you know, because everybody's been saying lately, they just can't score. They're, they're, they got to put more pucks in the net. But still wasn't good enough as the Kings grabbed the extra point in a shootout in a 6-5 win for Los Angeles. Yeah, and actually there was some serious atmosphere in the building last night. The home team gave the just over 13,000 in attendance something to be excited about multiple times, despite blowing two two-goal leads. The Jets are struggling to gain points or in a battle to hang on to a playoff spot as opposed to finding a way to finish first in the Central right now. Last night aside, the now fourth place in the Central Jets are also struggling to score as they manage to score more than three goals for just the third time in nine games this month. Ken Weeb of Sportsnet, sportsnet.ca, and member of our Jets coverage team on 680 B joins us now. Ken, good morning. Good morning. Uh, great to be with you all. How are you? We're doing all right. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll maybe ask you if you've uh, you know bought uh, something that you, you thought you were getting different after the segment, Ken. But just two weeks ago, safe to say we were discussing what the Jets might do at the trade deadline in order to take them on a deep playoff run. Um, before we answer that question, where did all the scoring go? Yeah, great question. Uh, they, they found it yesterday against a goaltender that was struggling to the point that the Kings traded for Jonas Corposalo immediately after the game to ensure that they've upgraded the position. So, yeah, 33 goals in the previous 16 was not good enough. This is a team we talk about as being skilled and skillful all the time, but they sort of bit a, hit a bit of a rough patch as the games have gotten more difficult in the second half. And yesterday they took a step forward in that direction, but they didn't do as good a job defending and they had trouble uh, checking uh, specifically one player named Anje Kopitar, who got to the net with relative ease and came through with a couple of tip-ins. So there were some steps taken, but uh, still work to be done when it comes to both the play on the ice and the structure, and I would say the roster as well. 
I'm not sure what sort of cheers went out for the Jets' newest addition, Nino Niederreiter, but there was the hit, there was the fight. Uh, I don't know how the crowd reacted to that last night in his first game, Ken, but we're wondering what about Shevel Dayoff? Has he been recalibrating his approach to the trade deadline? Yeah, I mean, you know, Niederreiter did uh, probably had some of the largest cheers. Mm-hmm. They they had a welcome for him early on, and uh, he he delivered sort of came as advertised. I liked what I saw from him, and I think Kevin Cheveldayoff could could bring in another one of him or someone like him, a big body that gets to the net and plays a physical style. Uh, I would say that the approach may have changed slightly. I would say maybe about a month ago, the Jets probably were more in that all-in category, and I know folks in our market don't like talking about the Maple Leafs, but. Uh, I, I don't expect a Kyle Dubas all-in approach, but I do expect uh, Kevin to be working the phones pretty heavily. We know the prices have been high, but uh, this looks like a team that, that could use a further boost if they want to you know, first get into the playoffs and, and B, potentially go on uh, a bit of a run here right now. I don't know. I, there's still a lot of talent on this roster, but it seems like it, the group is just lacking a little bit of confidence. So I do think that they could use a boost and I think that would give the group a boost if the Jets go out and get a defenseman and maybe another forward here. So Ken, the Jets have a huge weekend ahead with back-to-back games against the high-powered Edmonton Oilers Friday in Alberta, Saturday here at home. This feels like yet another litmus test for the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, bang on, Brett. I mean, this is a group that, you know, they've had some fun games in the past. High event hockey has been on the agenda. Uh, The Oilers haven't forgotten that Canadian division, North division series that ended in a sweep, but required three overtimes. And they're a team that just went out and made a big move. So their team is going to be feeling a bit of a boost by you know, adding a guy like Matthias Ekholm, who Jets fans are quite familiar with uh, from his time with the Nashville Predators. So, you know, they're even in points going into today's action. So it, it, I don't think it's ever a matter of motivation for this group. It just seems as though, uh, they've kind of just been a little bit off lately, and you know sometimes all it takes is a is a is a point. You know they got a point yesterday against the LA Kings. Maybe that's something they can probably build on. But yeah, I mean they've gone from you know battling for first place in the Central to you know cold scratching and clawing for a wild card, and you look over your shoulder and there sit the Calgary Flames five points behind. So they need to pick up their play six ten and one. If they go six ten and one in their next uh, seventeen. Then they're getting to, you know, white knuckling time when it comes to the playoff berth. But uh, I expect the Jets to settle in. I mean, this is a group that played well for a long stretch of time. And I think that the, every team goes through some struggles during the course of the year. But they definitely need to elevate their play down the stretch or or it could get a little dicey for them. Not to add insult to injury, one of our listeners pointing out that they actually blew three two goal leads last night not just two as I outlined and uh, Ken we speak to you on a regular basis we also speak with Sarah Orleski from Jets TV and Mitchell Clinton but but yourself and, and Sarah are around the team quite a bit I know you're in the dressing room uh, on a regular basis and Sarah mentioned you know through the early part of the season she noticed a difference in the team their mannerisms just there was a different feel overall around this club did you notice that earlier and when did that change if it has changed at all Ken yeah I mean Greg I would say that the vibes uh, were a little bit more positive early on in the season the joy level was a little bit higher but I mean all teams are going to feel good when you're winning I don't get a sense that the group is really you know uptight and you know nervous about their scenario Uh, but they're all certainly cognizant of the you know urgency required to pull themselves out of it I mean, we know that last night Kevin Stenland had two goals snapping a 12-game drought, but I mean, their complimentary scoring has dried up completely as well up to that point. So they've got a bunch of guys who know that they can play better. I don't see, like I said, I don't think this is an issue where the team's mood has drastically changed. Of course, things aren't as rosy when they're not winning with as as much frequency, but this is one thing for me, everyone. I think this group has gone through some stumbles down the stretch before, and that's why I think they're they're better equipped to handle it before it spirals out of control. I think you learn from the lessons of years past. And if they don't, then, well, then they're going to probably have to reassess in the off season. But I think there is a you know strong leadership group in there. And I think that they're going to find a way to, you know, patch things up and, and sort of stabilize. I don't think maybe they were as good as they were when they were playing at their best. And I certainly don't think they're as poor as they have been at various points when they've been having some issues here. So I think their mentality is in a fine place. And I think that after the deadline, everyone sort of takes a deep breath and then they get on with their business of trying to play their best hockey in the last 21 games. 
Ken Weeb of Sportsnet, a member of our Jets coverage team on 680 CJOB. Always a pleasure, sir. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you. And a reminder that on Friday, we have five pairs of tickets to give away for Monday's game against San Jose, the West Side Story game, Jets and the Sharks on Monday, March 6th. And what we're going to do, because it's the trade deadline on Friday, we are going to ask you to send us a picture of something in your possession, something odd, something amazing, whatever. But what are you willing to trade for Jets tickets if you had to? And honestly, for me, the weirder, the better. Like if you've got like a fridge from 1937 that still works, that would be a great beer fridge on somebody's porch at their cabin. I don't know. Do we have to go and pick up these things, Brett? I'm like, not, do I, I need to get a truck for the weekend? <laughs> no, or? no, we don't. Got a friend with a truck? <laughs> oh, I'd hate to be the, the friend uh, with a truck. I feel like my husband got rid of the truck for that reason. Yeah. It's not true. It was old and aging and we had kids and it didn't make sense. And we talk all the time about getting one, but then we joke. Oh, but then you're that guy. Yep. He's got a cabinet that needs to be picked up. You go into the dump? Great. Yeah. Hey, I got to move. Can you help me move? You, you, this is how you do it surreptitiously. You get a, a hitch on your vehicle yeah. and a really nice trailer and you hide it under a tarp <laughs> somewhere on your property so people don't know you have it. And hide, you the, hide the trailer. Yeah. And then you just use it when you need to. That's smart. Mostly. There's probably a... I'm sure there's a, that's what the junk companies are all about, but there's a side hustle in being a guy with a truck or a girl with a truck. Maybe in this day and like age. Like an Uber. The there's an app for that. Like, like, like an Uber. <laughs> I'm not even joking. There's an app in Winnipeg for that. I'm sure. Yep. Oh, my God. Okay. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. In our next segment, we're going to pick a winner for the $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza based on your stories on our text line at 204-780-6868 about the things that you bought that turned out to be useless or things that you bought that turned out to not even be close to what you thought you were getting. Last chance to get in on that. We'll pick a winner in just over 10 minutes' time. And then after Global News at 9.30, it's one week... Coming up in one week, International Women's Day. So we're going to learn more about the Women Build Speakers series. Right now, it's taken nearly 20 minutes for an ambulance to respond to a 911 call in Winnipeg. So some form of care is getting to patients in distress sooner, Brett. That's because the first to get to the scene is often the fire truck and a firefighter paramedic with the where the average time is 8.9 minutes, up slightly from 8.5 minutes back in 2019. But when it comes to the ambulance response time, Loren, the ambulance with the more extensive life-saving equipment and expertise, well, that's gone from 14 minutes in 2019 to just shy of 20 minutes last year. Ryan Wyden is president of the Manitoba Government and General Employees Union, Local 911, and he is also a paramedic. Good morning, Ryan. Good morning, Lauren. So walk me through the difference. I understand a firefighter paramedic is often first to the scene, and that's helpful. They have their own set of skills. But what's the difference in the kind of care they can give versus when someone like you gets there? And I ask because when we look at response times, yes, it's nice to say we get there in about nine minutes, but what's the difference in what can be done to that patient on scene? Well, essentially, when uh, when they get on scene, they certainly have the education, the skills to try to stabilize somebody if it's a it's a real emergency. Um, however, our advanced care paramedics that are on ambulances here in Winnipeg, uh, as was already said, we have uh, just a, additional education and more skills. Um, we can do a lot of the more high end things that are needed to, um, I guess, take somebody from stabilized to actually improving and getting better and on their way to. Um, um, hopefully, um, getting through the, whatever type of incident that they're going through and uh, on to uh, being healed. Not to mention, Ryan, so for example, in a stroke situation, it's on the ambulance that we might have, say, that, that medication, the clot-busting medication, or uh, the ability to do uh, other, I don't know, is it tracheotomies, other things like that that yeah. might occur? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those are exactly the things. We've got some high-end medications that we, we speak to the the cardiologist right over the phone, right, when we have certain situations like heart attacks and strokes or neurologists over the phone. And uh, we certainly have a, a lot of medications that we can give that are higher-end uh, um, medications, life-saving medications, if you will, uh, along with, like I said, skills where 
like you said, we're putting a, a hole in someone's uh, throat to try to get an airway into their lungs, or we, uh, you know, may have to pierce their their chest wall to try to, uh, you know, inflate their lung again. You know, so these are these are higher end uh, skill sets that you, 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 not everybody carries with them. So, of course, uh, these are important people to make sure they're available when you need them. So, Ryan, I'm trying to find some positive here. I know that there's been an improvement with regard to the triage process, or at least that was the intention. And so could this be just a simple situation where uh, the, the, the operators are getting really good at prioritizing where these paramedics, these specialized paramedics need to be? And, and that there aren't any patients at risk based on the fire paramedics uh, going and being there for an extended amount of time versus ambulance getting to, to all situations within that, that nine-minute threshold. Well, yeah, ab- absolutely. In, in, in a big sense, yes, you, you, you've nailed it. Um, getting these advanced care paramedics to these homes where firefighters have been on scene for a long period of time uh, is important. Uh, having that time being shorter, which we're, we're absolutely grateful that they're able to, uh, our fire response here in Winnipeg is able to get there and, and like I said, give us an update on how they're doing or, or do something to stabilize them. But yeah, absolutely. Getting our advanced care paramedics to these calls so people aren't sitting in their homes waiting for us uh, for, you know, half an hour or, an, you know, even longer when they need to get to the hospital, right? So uh, so this 20 minutes that we see is is shocking it should be concerning uh we're hoping that the people on broadway have something to say about that and are going to inject something into the city here and i know you guys have spoken to the chief and he's given you the assessment it's the same assessment that we make we need help we need a lot of help here and we need it now so i appreciate you having me on what's the morale like right now within the winnipeg fire paramedic service given these rising response times like how are paramedics dealing with this well, to be honest, uh, the length of calls has certainly it, it, it's obviously increased. Our violence on our calls have increased. Our mental health calls, uh, they take a long time, right? So we're really running call to call to call to call, and, and, we're, and we are getting very burnt out. Uh, we have a lot more part-time requests for people to, you know, go from full-time to part-time. Some people are leaving the profession altogether. Um, they have, uh, they're struggling to even get people to to try to, to, to recruit them into Winnipeg. And uh, like I said, I think people have just had enough. And, and we've been there throughout the, uh, you know, the COVID crisis in nursing homes when staffing levels needed help. And we were there in rural ERs when staffing level, levels needed help. And when, when people were too sick to be at home but no room at the hospital, they were put in hotels. And, and paramedics were there, again, to try to look after people. And, and we're hoping that this government didn't forget about that because we certainly have tried to be anywhere we needed to be and uh, and try to, you know, plug any gaps that we had throughout the last couple of years. But uh, it's certainly taken its toll on our mental health, our physical health. Uh, people at work, like I said, I guess they're all waiting for March 7th too. Um, and, and we'll find out how our mental health and our, our morale is after that. But uh, we're really hoping that there's going to be some positive news. March 7th, of course, is budget day for the province of Manitoba. This is an election year. We had the mayor on a couple hours ago, Ryan, saying he's not sure if we'll see that ask met for more ambulances in the city. The ask is for seven to 10 more ambulances. Right. We only have about 30 seconds here, so I apologize for that. But what else can be done if there are no more ambulances to come into the system? Can any more efficiencies, and I actually hate that word, but can anything else be done to help with these well, response times? I'll talk real quick. You're right. We do have dispatchers now that are trying to triage our calls so that we don't even need to send an ambulance. If we can send a taxi, we'll send a taxi. So everything is being done that can be done to try to make more efficiencies. If there's not going to be ambulances, I would hope that they would look at some type of uh, a model, like I said, I've been saying in the past, sport utilities with paramedics on them, trying to redirect people. And you've had doctors on in the last week. I've heard, um, you know, uh, with uh, Rich Cluche, uh, uh, and, and I mean, they're saying the same thing. We need to start finding healthcare teams. Paramedics need to be part of those teams so that we can prevent people from going to the hospital and we can give them other options and places to go. Thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate your insight into this. Hey, thanks, guys. Have a good day. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, how bizarre indeed with some of these purchases because we're asking you at 204-780-6868, inspired by the six-inch 
charger cord that Loren bought yesterday that she thought was six feet and said, what am I going to do with this cord? Um, what's something that you bought that turned out to be useless or something you bought that turned out to not be as advertised? Like DJ, who says, the wife ordered a birth bird bath. It was supposed to be for, you know, regular sized birds. So I don't know, maybe 18 inches across. Well, with the one we got, even a hummingbird could not have a bath in this thing. It's so <laughs> tiny. And we're getting a lot of things that are yes. turning out to be way too small, like Sandy, Loren. So Sandy, I wish we could share. We should try to share this picture because um, Sandy says, I was looking for a good cleaning net, you know, like one you would use to clean a pool. I wanted one to scoop the icky stuff in our pond. I searched Amazon and read so many. Finally, I found what I needed. The delivery was quick. I get to my post office to check my mail. And there was this brownish envelope, the half the size of a normal letter. <laughs> I get in my truck and think, what is this? I open it up to find a tiny little net, not even big enough to scoop a fishbowl with. Gave it to a coworker who has a fish tank in her office. I was so disappointed. I just wanted to chuck it out my truck window. It, I don't know. Like Again, it comes down to the description is... I misread yesterday with my cell phone cord, which launched this whole conversation. Yeah. I thought it said six feet. It was six inches. But people are sending us screen grabs of the purchase where it clearly says the size and the dimensions because that becomes with all your purchases. And they're all way off. Like, how does a bird bath? If it can't fit a hummingbird, why are you selling it? Is it for toy birds? I wonder. It's almost like these warehouses where they keep all this stuff. They have like some sort of a shrink ray where they shrink them all down <laughs> so they can store more items, and then they're supposed to unshrink them before they send them out. Yeah, I think that's how they're trying to. That's how they can afford to give you free delivery, right? <laughs> it's like when you go to um, is it tent displays? If you go to a camping store and they have the mini tent version set oh, up, sure. And then someone inevitably at, at one point in the year is like, "Who's this tent for?" Like a tiny cat, and it's just the model. Yeah, sure. Right? It's like they're sending out models to everybody, but not the actual size. Well, Greg, Kellyanne is our winner. And again, this is kind of along the same line. It sure is. The spring after we got our shepherd puppy, I ordered one of those collapsible dog pools. It was pictured with a large collie, and I ordered the large size. It was a realistic picture, and the measurements were explicitly over 40 inches. Well... Not only did it take seven months to arrive with no communication or replies to queries, I figured I got scammed. And with summer nearly over, I'm now the proud owner of a $40 Barbie pool. <laughs> Bobby and I laughed out loud with that. Uh, I'm not sure the shippers know what measurements are. L-O-L. Wow. Is it just a slip of the dot? You know, it's two lines. Is it two for feet and one for... One for feet. One for feet. See, there you go. That's, That's what happened. That's what I'm saying. Someone's to like, you yesterday. Which one is it? Which one is this? One is the larger measurement of unit uh, unit of measurement, and then two is the smaller one. So, but but Kellyanne said it was explicitly forty inches. So, in your circumstance, Loren, Kellyanne should have got a a forty foot pool. Oh, the opposite. Yeah, she <laughs> the opposite. Got, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. She should have got like a like a backyard pool. Yes. We're coming over, Kellyanne. We're gonna test this Barbie pool out. <laughs> Congratulations, Kellyanne. You get yourself a twenty dollar gift card for Santa Lucia for your troubles. And before we say hello to our next guest, just one more thought on the, the purchases that turned out to be useless or you bought something, at least you thought you were buying one thing and it turned out to be something else. This listener says, many years ago, I won a radio contest, not CJOB. The contest was around Easter and the prize was a four foot chocolate Easter bunny. When I picked up the prize, it was an eight inch bunny with four feet so I felt like a sucker as the station was promoting no. this, the station was promoting this contest for about a week. Mm. And that reminds me, I don't know if you've heard the yeah, bit. Yeah. There's a famous bit from an American radio station oh, for I thought a, you're going somewhere else. For one hundred grand. You could the contest was win hundred oh, grand. No. So they they could call this guy up and tell him he's won and he says he lost his mind with joy. Oh my god, I'm gonna buy a boat, I'm gonna do this. And they're like, well, how are you gonna do that with a chocolate bar? Yeah. And he says, What do you mean? Bar. Well, you want a one hundred grand chocolate bar. See, I don't that, that's, that's not funny. Terrible. Because you're gonna get someone that where that is life changing, not just in the I'm gonna buy a boat way. Yeah. But for someone twenty bucks. 
might be the difference between them eating or not eating the next day. And then you make that promise and chuck them a chocolate bar. Yeah. I would be steamed. He was steamed. He lost his mind. And I think I, I think he actually threatened to come down there and kill them. So, yeah, it turned out to be. Like, I would not be that steamed. No. So, yeah, that, that kind of radio, that's not fun. But thanks to all for participating in our contest today. And we'll give away more pizza tomorrow. In the meantime, International Women's Day is one week away. And with it, a whole host of events to inspire conversation and change. One of my favorite events is the Habitat for Humanity Manitoba Women Build Speaker Series. And Michelle Finley is the chair of the series and in studio with us now. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning. What does this event mean to you? Because I've I've emceed it for a few years now and I love how it kickstarts my day. But I feel at the end of the day, there's just so much more still to be done when it comes to a whole host of uh, gender equity issues and more. And you keep coming back to run it too. So what 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 is it about this event that draws you in? Well, I have a couple different reasons for, one, doing this event and, two, continuing to volunteer for Habitat for You Manitoba. Uh, first of all, regarding the event itself, I always feel that, I mean, we focus in on equality one day a year, and then sometimes we forget about it, you know, until it actually impacts us directly. So for me, this is like a reset each year, kind of sets my vision, and I kind of keep it top of mind for maybe a longer period of time than I would without the event. And I've learned so much from the speakers. This is our seventh one. We've had uh, six incredible women speak um, at the event, and every single one of them, I take something different from it. So tell us a little bit about this event. Tell us about Women Build and and what what is the, the you know what what is the the reason behind uh, breaking this out as as a separate event, so to speak. Well, when we when we started thinking about what kind of fundraisers we wanted to, wanted to do, so Women Build is a committee that volunteers. It's a group of women. We come together. We do fundraisers and we raise enough money to construct a house every year for a single parent who's a low income working parent. And to date, we've raised over one point eight million dollars. This committee. So um, the whole goal of it is to help a family, uh, you know, get out of the binds of poverty and uh, housing insecurity is a big part of the poverty cycle and people really do need a hand up and so I like this model because they purchase the house they contribute sweat equity to the house and they have an interest-free mortgage for 15 years so they're building equity Um, they don't need a down payment to do that and we set the mortgage payments their shelter costs uh, are set at about I think 27 28 percent so it stabilizes the family it allows them to you know start looking at things like recreational opportunities for their kids that maybe they didn't have an opportunity to participate in before because they were spending too much money on shelter costs. They also get to build a little bit of a savings. And what's really important to me and personally important to me because this impacted me as I was growing up is the kids get to put down roots. When you're in poverty housing cycle, you are moving all the time. And that's really hard on kids. You're starting school new all the time. You're making new friends. You lose ground. It's really hard. And I I experienced that as a child. I started my life in poverty. I moved 10 times before or seven times before I was 10 years old. So that's kind of what keeps me coming back to Habitat is I really don't want kids to have to go through what I went through. So the, the Women Build is the build for the house for a family. Several homes are built every year through Habitat for Humanity and right across North America as well. The Speaker Series is fundraising so that we can get the money to help build those homes and, and help these families out. And I want to get more into what happens next Wednesday in a minute. But you just touched on a bit about your own personal experience. And since then, I know we've seen so many families come through Winnipeg, uh, come through the Habitat program, who can can attest to the idea it's about having a bit of it's not about the roof as much as it is the permanent feeling of, okay, I can now set down some roots. Yeah, absolutely. So Habitat Manitoba has built over 450 homes. Um, And, you know, if you ever get a chance to go to a key ceremony, they call it, that's where you hand the keys over to the the home, the new homeowners that are purchasing the house. And what always strikes me is when the kids come in and they run around and I've seen so many of these kids, they literally like lay down on the floor. There's no furniture there yet, but they lay down on the floor in their new room and you can just see them. And they're like, this is my space. And it's something that, you know, we might take for granted every day but these kids are you know it's really impactful and it's so it's such a honor to be part of that and it's something that I mean I started my career with Habitat 2 like 20 years ago and I on my very first day I went to a key ceremony and the thoughts never left me. Hey, what happens if a Habitat family moves out 
of their home. Well, let's say they, 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 they relocate or they get a bigger home or whatever. Did they just sell it back to you or like what, what's the process there? Yeah. So Habitat would work with them if there's a situation and it doesn't happen very often. I don't think um, the situation would be then that Habitat would work to place another Habitat family into that home. Uh, we have a lot of generous community members, sponsors that come to the table every year to help build these homes. So we want to make sure that the original intent is to put a, uh, a low income working family into that home. And what's really cool about Habitat is that all of the mortgage payments go back into building more homes. So as homeowners are, you know, making their mortgage payments, that money is going back into the cycle. So it's kind of when you donate uh, to Habitat, you can be assured that your money, uh, your donation and time is being used in perpetuity. Michelle, we'll ask you about this uh, featured speaker this year in just a moment here, but uh, I can't help but think about former United States President Jimmy Carter, who's in hospice care right now, 1993, came to Winnipeg as part of Habitat for Humanity's first ever build in Canada. So from that respect, there's a there's that tremendous connection with President Carter, also the health scare he had here several years ago when he was here for a second time. Have, have you got any memories of, of interacting with, with President Carter and his wife, Rosalind? Now, I wasn't uh, I wasn't on either of those builds. I wasn't involved with Habitat uh, directly in those builds. But you can see the legacy that uh, President Carter and his wife Rosalind have left, not just with Winnipeg's Habitat chapters, but around the world. Um, I think they're a great inspiration for you know what it means to give back in a very tangible, hands-on way. And I think that I mean everyone at Habitat in Winnipeg is thinking about President Carter and you know, obviously um, thinking of his family in this time. And um, I know that the families that have purchased the homes uh, that uh, President Carter and his wife helped build, I know they're also thinking about uh, the situation. So it's a tremendous legacy for, for Winnipeg. And as you said, it was the first, actually that first Canadian uh, uh, Carter build was um, actually the first one outside of the U.S. Mm-hmm. ever in the world. And it came out of a conversation that uh, a volunteer board member had with uh, someone on Carter's team, President Carter's team down in in the U.S. So it really was a really amazing thing for them to come up to Winnipeg and do that first build. So one conversation can spark change and movement, right? And we're going to have a conversation next week for International Women's Day. It is the Women Build Speakers Series. You can still get tickets, right? Yeah, you can still get tickets. It's uh, habitat.mb.ca, and our keynote speaker is Diane Gray. She's president of Prairie's Can, and she's someone that I've looked up to for a long time. I've been, I'm just in awe of her career, so I'm super excited to to see what uh, see what she has to say. And we're really thrilled too to welcome Qualico back as our presenting sponsor. They've been with us since day one, so it's great to have them back too. So what's really cool about this event, if I can just make my own quick sales pitch, is that you can you get there for seven thirty. It's it's full breakfast, bacon or not. You don't have to have the bacon. I'm going to have the bacon. You start off your day listening to some really great women in a room full of women and men. Welcome to. Yeah, absolutely. And I find that what's really cool about it is that it kickstarts the day off just right. You know, it's taking up 90 minutes of your time to walk away feeling darn great about the things you'd like to maybe accomplish that day, that week, that month, that year. And maybe, Michelle, as you started off pointing out, about the need to have conversations year-round yes. about women's issues and issues that we would be facing. Yeah, we absolutely have to keep this top of mind. We know that uh, you know, 30% of single moms and kids are living in poverty in Canada. That's according to Stats Can. And you know, this is a part of breaking that cycle of poverty. And uh, I really believe... I believe strongly in the work that Habitat does, and I know it works. Michelle Finley, chair of the Women Build Speakers Series, Habitat for Humanity, Manitoba. Once again, this is happening on International Women's Day, Wednesday, March 8th. Thank you very much for joining us, Michelle. We appreciate it. Thank you. We always appreciate your support. And once again, it's at the RBC Convention Center, 7.30 a.m. And uh, I'm glad you mentioned it, Loren. I was going to ask, will you get bacon Listen, I don't have good breakfasts in the morning ever. So this is also the one day of a year where I eat well. So habitat.mb.ca, you can purchase tickets there. There's Get your tickets. It's fun. Get your tickets early and get there early so there is some bacon left. Lorenzo's just going to have the whole tray. I did vow to eat a bowl this year, a full bowl. Yeah, you've been threatening the bowl, the yeah. bowl of the bacon, bowl of bacon for bacon. years. I, it reminds me of university when you all of a sudden arrived in the cafeteria and you're like, I, it's unlimited bacon. <laughs> And then next thing you know, you're, I'll just get a bowl. Yeah, the first time I was at a breakfast buffet, I, I, I felt like I was stealing 